There's a lot happening these days, but I have just the thing to get you up to speed on what matters without taking too much of your time. The 7 from the Washington Post is a podcast that gives you the seven most important and interesting stories, and we always try to save room for something fun. You get it all in about seven minutes or less. I'm Hannah Jewell. I'll get you caught up with The 7 every weekday. So follow The 7 right now. What's up? This is your boy Lil Duval, and check out my podcast, Conversations with Unc, on the Black Effect Podcast Network. Each and every Tuesday, Conversations with Unc podcast feature casuals and in-depth talk about ebbs and flows of life and the pursuit of happiness. Unlike my work on stage, I tap into a more serious and sensitive side to give life advice and simply offer words of encouragement, yet remind folks to never forget to laugh. Every Tuesday, listen to Conversations with Unc, hosted by Lil Duval on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. Presented by AT&T. Connecting changes everything. You know you've got a comeback in you. When you take the next step, you're going to make it count. For your career, for your family, for your life. You can earn a degree you're proud of with Purdue Global. Purdue Global is backed by Purdue University, one of the nation's most respected and innovative public universities. This is your chance. This is your opportunity. This is your comeback. Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow the global story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. Welcome to 500 Greatest Songs, a podcast based on Rolling Stone's hugely popular, influential, and sometimes controversial list. I'm Brittany Spanos. And I'm Rob Sheffield. We're here to shed light on the greatest songs ever made and discover what makes them so great. From classics like Fleetwood Mac's Dreams to The Ronettes' Be My Baby, and modern day classics like The Killer's Mr. Brightside. Listen to Rolling Stone's 500 Greatest Songs on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. You're listening to The After Show, the bonus episode series for On Tour with Brian Ray. This is a production of iHeartRadio and Black Barrel Media, and I'm your host, Mandy Wimmer. In The After Show, we dive a little deeper into Brian's thoughts about certain parts of the interviews, as well as expound a bit more on his own experiences on tour. We get into some crazy stories in this after show. We hear Brian's thoughts on Prince getting booed off stage when they were both opening for the Rolling Stones. Prince's insane work ethic and how that may have contributed to his untimely death, and the impact his songs have had on artists and audiences alike, particularly Purple Rain. Brian shares his own boot camp production story, and we wrap with his final moments with Etta James shortly before she passed. Here's my conversation with Brian Ray. Brian, what up? What up? So we meet again. <laughs> hello, hello. Oh, awesome, awesome, awesome interview this week. Leroy, uh, what? 
what a gem of a person and what a freaking talented person. <laughs> yeah, so talented, so dedicated. I mean, has literally spent his whole life focused on making things look otherworldly and beautiful. I mean... Yeah, I mean, just to, like, I don't think that the production and lighting teams and the crew and everyone really get enough credit for pulling all of this off. I no. mean, it's, I mean, the, clearly nothing can be done without any cog in the wheel, yeah. you know, so to say. And the sets and the lighting design, I mean, he's been, Leroy has been the production designer for some of the biggest names in music, award shows, everything. Yeah. I mean, I really encourage everyone who's listening to actually go to his website. I think it's LeroyBennett.com and look at everything he's been involved in. I mean, you have a couple hours, make some coffee. <laughs> I yeah. mean, it's impressive. Yeah, some very important acts, you know, um, none the least of which is... Uh, not in the least of whom would be Prince and Paul McCartney and Lady Gaga. There's just so many more, though. Oh, my God, a million more. So, uh, you know, just to get right into it, because we have a lot to talk about <laughs> with Leroy. So one thing that I was curious about, and I'm not sure if the audience may have been as well, is that you guys both said that you were part of the Cavallo Ruffalo scene. Uh, however, mm. neither of you really kind of went into what that was. And so uh, personally, I don't know what that is. So right. can you expound on that a little bit? Bob Cavallo okay. and Joe Ruffalo were a management team uh, in the heyday of sort of California R&B and rock. And they handled some of the coolest artists around. They handled Earth, Wind and Fire for their sort of white hot sort of oh, wow. hot new period. Uh, they handled a, a band that I loved named Little Feet. Oh, who, yeah, yeah. Who was around forever and ever and ever. Um they handled uh, John Sebastian of The Loving Spoonful and many more uh, things in his career. And they handled Valerie Carter, who was an amazing vocalist. Uh, and they handled this new ingenue, a guy that no one had heard of before, <laughs> named Prince. <laughs> and they would soon, of course, you know, everyone would know of Prince within a year. You well, know? and did you say the band that you were in? With them was yes, which one? Yes, yes. So I was with a guy named Reggie Knighton oh, in a band okay. called the Reggie Knighton Band. And we were managed by Cavallo Ruffalo. So ah. they were just a really cool management, uh, energetic management team. Uh, and they were their outpost was in Beverly Hills on Brighton Way. And I remember going to the office and, <laughs> you know, seeing all these artists come in and go. And it was an exciting time. So did you, did you know of Prince during that period or no? I didn't know Prince. I, I had a sighting. I knew what he looked like now. <laughs> and this is about 1977, 78. And I'm at a 7-Eleven mm -hmm. in the Valley. And here comes this guy wearing a black leather trench coat. And it's him. It's Prince. Right. And he was working with this woman who also worked with the management named Jamie. And, uh, you know, I just kind of nodded. He kind of nodded back. That's it. I mean, that's the most contact I've ever had personally with Prince. Well, I mean, what, what a phenomenon Prince was. I find it really interesting. Obviously, going behind the scenes into the rehearsals, into the lives of some of these huge artists, I find very interesting, which is, you know, what we're doing on this show. And mm. uh, really to get an insider look into the world of Prince 
from his best friend, Leroy, mm -hmm. who was, I mean, they were obviously best friends, very close friends for 15 years or more. Um, someone who worked with him and was also a close friend of him offstage. Mm -hmm. The stories that Leroy shares in here, in this interview, were insane. And I think of um, one of the most interesting things that Leroy shares is in his very first few days with Prince, the first five days, he said, was just a boot camp from hell. And, you know, he Prince was asking him to do all of these different things. And he didn't even know what he was asking him to do because Chris Prince wasn't, you know, a producer. He wasn't a lighting designer. He didn't really know how hard the things were. And he was asking him to do things that were basically impossible. But Leroy would do it. And basically what Prince just wanted to see is that he didn't quit. And it wasn't the really interesting thing, and I promise I'll let you talk, uh, but the really interesting thing about this, I thought, that Leroy said was he wasn't, he would not ask someone to do something that he wouldn't do himself. Mm -hmm. So it wasn't like, I'm just going to put you through hell to put you through hell. I want to know that you are as dedicated to my performances as I am. Yeah. And that's, and he would do the same thing himself. Mm -hmm. He would put himself through the same paces. Mm -hmm. I mean, do you know of anyone? Have you ever worked with anyone that was like that? And oh, one more thing. I promise that you talk, but I lied, obviously. The other piece, which do I know. Do go on. I <laughs> yeah, please continue. <laughs> I'm wrapping this up, but this is important. They would not ever do after parties, after shows. After a show, they would immediately go to their hotel and every critical person would be there rewatching the show, finding pieces that messed up and perfecting it. Could you imagine? No, I've never been in an organization quite that exacting before. But I think that generally a lot of people out there don't really know how shows, tours, records come together. They just see the finished product and go, thank you very much. Oh, my God, this is great. Right. And they just think it's all like toadstools and rainbows. Yeah. <laughs> but, you know, it's really hard work. Right. And, you know, what I'm hoping to do uh, with you with this show that, that I'm enjoying so much is to sort of shed some light onto a process that is mysterious to people. Right. And part of that is, uh, you know, to talk about an artist that's very, very demanding and exacting as Prince was. And there are many others. Um, names I won't name because <laughs> I wasn't in their band. It wouldn't be fair for me, but I've heard stories. I'm sure. Uh, I guess the worst it ever got for me or, or the most demanding it ever was for me in terms of long rehearsals was um, my first touring in France uh, with Abe Laboreal Jr. actually on drums for a woman named Mylène Farmer. And her shows were spectacular and way over the top like production values. Like she'd enter like through a giant statue and come down on a cable you couldn't wow. see with her arms out like she was like a deity and come down <laughs> to a conveyor belt that would then take her out to the wow. middle of the audience. Like really intense. Um, so to perform these entrances, like these very intense entrances that had many elements, all of which had to work together at the perfect timing. Right. The band leader and the tour director would have the band play the intro song over and over oh, and over oh. for about three days straight. I mean, like four hours. It couldn't hours be a track. You hours. had to be doing it live. I'm just saying. Oh, dear. We have the technology, but they needed, she needed to feel like. I'm, I'm not dissing her. It was really more about the um, production manager right uh, right and uh and it was just it was pretty rough but 
you know, it all led to one of the most impactful, amazing, exciting introductions you've ever seen. But they probably could have used a tape. Oh, my God. Yeah. That sounds painful. It was a little bit. You, you, you can ask Abe about it when we, <laughs> yeah. when we get to Abe Laborio Jr. So, Abe, tell me about tell this me great about time these. in your life I'm going to bring back up yeah. again. <laughs> so the other thing that I, th- I think was interesting, kind of along these same lines, is that in, in the vein that Prince would not ask you to do anything that he wouldn't do, Leroy says it was really hard on him, very, very hard on him, but he would not have wanted to be a member of the band because Prince could play anything better than anybody. And he and he did, right? Yeah. And so how do you how how do you impress Prince? <laughs> you yeah. know, I mean he can do everything, right? So it's right. like, are you ever good enough? Uh, right. you know, just I mean, I can imagine being on stage. I mean, even with you you've mentioned about being next to Paul McCartney. I mean, you're an insanely amazing guitar player and Paul McCartney's one of the best. It's like you're always like, Oh my god. I mean, you have to be comparing all it, the time. It it is similar in that way. Like uh, Paul is one of those rare artists that can do everything. Right. You know? Right. And then he's also a ridiculous songwriter, arranger, producer, uh visual concept totally uh, genius, you know. But um he plays guitar, piano, bass, uh, you know, yeah. acoustic, mando, you know, he <laughs> plays everything. So, and he plays all of it really well. Right. So it's not like he's going to say, well, how would you do that? He would just say, Brian, could you play that in the, the other position? You know, like, you know, and so <laughs> right. like he knows what he's talking about. Right. Yeah. I mean, you can't like, you can't fake it yeah. with someone like that. Right. And I can imagine, you know, with Prince and his, as you called it, exacting personality, you know, then on top of that, you know, where he just really didn't let anything slide. I can imagine that if you were a band member, you'd be like living in fear. Well, it's true. And and, and Prince really cut his teeth on artists like James Brown, who was famously very, very tough on his band. And he had hand signals that he would throw on stage, one hand flashing out, like spreading his fingers, that's five. Yeah. Another hand, that's 10. Right. Both, that's 20 bucks you're going to have to pay. And that's what Leroy was saying, is that's yeah. exactly what Prince would do. He yeah. would do hand circles. If you miss them, then it's 50 bucks. Yeah. I mean, he was straight James Brown. And that's so interesting. I got to see Prince a couple times, thank God, because one of my favorite performers. But I saw him after in Chicago after George Lucas's wedding at City Winery. And it was one of those shows that was he was supposed to go on at 11 or midnight. He goes on at 2 in the morning or something like that. I mean, I think we left around four or five o'clock in the morning. It was insane. But Leroy was talking about how he plays every instrument and I got to actually see that. He Mm. was literally, it was a very small stage and he was just going around to every member of the band. I mean, he had all the horns, you know, he had the backup singers. Yeah, I mean, everyone, everyone that was part of his band at George Lucas's wedding was packed on this tiny little stage and he would just go grab instruments literally from everybody and start playing them Mm -hmm. and then take the spot of the backup singer and then he'd faint and then he'd, I mean, it was Honestly, probably the best show I've ever seen in my Mm. life. But the talent that this person, the raw talent of this person that's standing right in front of you and in such a small venue. I mean, I'll never forget it. Yeah. White hot meteor, you know. Yeah. And it just, it's sad that he's not still with us. And then you think to yourself, well, some people are meant to shine hot and bright for, for a finite amount of time. And others, you know, stay relevant well into their older age, actors as well, you know, mm-hmm. artists, writers, but performing at that level, 
Right. You know, he was doing the knee drops and the oh, thing yeah. and that, you know, all the crazy stuff. And he did damage his knees and hips, you know, exactly. doing all that stuff. Right. Uh, even Tom Petty had damaged his knees, you right. know, from doing knee drop knee drops back in the new wave and, you know, alt rock days of his beginning. So it, it is a demanding, uh, it is a demanding line of work. And he was just, you know, white hot. What can you say? Crazy talented. The 2024 presidential campaign features two candidates who are very well-known to Americans. And yet, there's complexity at every turn. Criminal trials for one of those candidates. Young voters who are angry. The Campaign Moment podcast from The Washington Post gives you what matters. I'm Aaron Blake, and I'm covering my 10th election cycle. My colleagues and I have insights that you won't find anywhere else. So follow the Campaign Moment right now, wherever you're listening. This is it. Your moment. This is your time to make your comeback with Purdue Global. When you come back with a Purdue Global degree, you create opportunity for yourself, your family, and your future. It's a degree you can be proud of, a degree that employers will trust and respect. Purdue Global offers working adults like you over 175 flexible degree programs to meet your specific career goals. These include associate, bachelor's, master's, and doctoral degrees and certificates. Purdue Global degree programs range from nursing to business to communication and more. Whatever your interest, we have the degree that will move you forward. You have the knowledge. You have the experience. Now it's time to get credit for the work you've done and earn the recognition you deserve with Purdue Global. Purdue's online university for working adults. You know you're worth it. We do too. So don't wait another second to get the degree that will take your career to the next level. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. Welcome to 500 Greatest Songs, a podcast based on Rolling Stone's hugely popular, influential, and sometimes controversial list. I'm Brittany Spanos. And I'm Rob Sheffield. We're here to shed light on the greatest songs ever made and discover what makes them so great. Every week, we'll pick a new song from the list and talk about their placement on the revamped 2021 list. We'll also have guests join us, ranging from the artists themselves to the producers, or simply other writers like ourselves who voted on them. From classics like Fleetwood Mac's Dreams to the Ronettes' Be My Baby, and modern-day classics like The Killer's Mr. Brightside and Britney Spears' Baby One More Time. There's so many fascinating stories that have been forgotten, like Midnight Train to Georgia starting with a phone call to Farrah Fawcett, or how the Yeah, Yeah, Yeahs inspired Kelly Clarkson's banger Since You've Been Gone and Beyonce's Hold Up. Listen to Rolling Stone's 500 Greatest Songs on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house. And I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. As the number one audio company, iHeartMedia gives you access to all. Every audience, live conversations, trusted influencers, and the insights and data you need to grow. iHeartMedia is your access company. Go to iHeartResults.com for more.
while we're on that topic, one thing Leroy mentioned was that Prince actually predicted somewhat his own death. Mm. Uh, he was fascinated with some of these artists that died young and beautiful is what Leroy has, how Leroy said it. And be so incredibly sad to lose him as young as we did. But Leroy said that his plan was to die in his late thirties and he died, I think in his fifties. So thank God for that. Yeah. Yeah. And he had a very long career. Um, it wasn't over in a split second, like some others, like, you know, say, you know, Jimi Hendrix, that was really white hot. Right. Right. But, uh, you know, he's just someone who gave so much and we're so grateful for all that he gave, you know, for sure. So your your first major experience with Prince, though, I, you were also performing, so I'm not sure if you actually saw him live, but was Rolling Stones tour. You, were, yeah. you and Etta James were opening for the Stones, as was Prince. That was a big topic of conversation in this interview, how mm. Prince got booed off stage yeah. for wearing a, a thong and thigh-high boots and... What what was going through your mind at that point, knowing that that was happening? Did you recognize the talent of Prince and thought that this was crazy? Or did you see any of his performances? Now, I don't recall if we followed with Etta James, if we followed Prince's set or if he followed us. But in any case, I was either getting off stage and, you know, drawing off and changing clothes or getting ready to go on stage. So I missed his performance, but I heard about it immediately afterwards. And yes, he was wearing a leather thong and like women's high-heeled boots. And well, I mean, with a very fine little heel is when I say oh, women's. Wow. I mean, it wow. was not like, yeah. you know, dude boots. Not it like was, a, you know, was a little, type, yeah. And then, uh, but thankfully he was wearing a big leather trench coat, which offset the whole <laughs> ensemble. But you're talking about Anaheim, which is a fairly conservative place. And you're talking about the Rolling Stones. Right. Anaheim, and it was 50,000 people out there. Oh I think 55,000 or something like that. Yeah. And it was a blazing hot day. And Prince was un unknown. At Prince that was point, unknown. Yeah. Prince was unknown at that time. So, you know, it was just an awful lot, I think, for that audience to take in. You know, all the shirtless beer guzzlers, you know, it's just <laughs> a little bit much for them in broad daylight. You know, there's no lights to help. It wasn't night yet. Of course, uh -huh. the Stones performance went from sundown way into the night oh so it was yeah. not uh it was outside the performance was yeah, outside okay. 55,000 oh, in a obviously. stadium yeah, yeah 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 in a stadium okay all right all right I was thinking arena but yeah, yeah of course wow that's um I mean obviously he came back and Leroy talked about how it took Mick calling him to get him to come back and a mm. few other people but I mean just you think about that now I mean how he is one of the the biggest megastars literally in the world even today after mm. his passing you know mm -hmm. and how that started I mean I guess to anyone out there it gives you hope yeah <laughs> you know people talk about getting a million no's from interviews and no's from all these different places and then all of a sudden you finally get the yes I mean you get booed off stage by 55,000 people and you come back and you are Prince <laughs> the yeah. megastar I mean that's yeah. a pretty inspiring story well you got to think about it in terms of the bravery that it oh, takes yeah. to do that I mean yeah. you know who would be possessed with the thought that that's a great idea to right. go out on an 80 degree day in the middle of conservative Anaheim in a stadium of 55,000 people in a leather thong. I mean, it is really brave and his whole career was brave. And that's, that's incredible. We need artists that are brave that way. But I will say, I mean, when it's a super hot day and you're outside, he was wearing the most practical thing, just I mean, a thong. You know, I Surprised I you was going to wear that. that too, but <laughs> I elected to, to uh, add pants. 
<laughs> okay, we'll leave that there. Uh, so the purple rain, the phenomena of purple rain, Leroy talks about how that was really the transition. Mm. You know, Prince was growing and growing and growing in popularity. And then boom, when Purple Rain hit, it was just through the stratosphere, I think was actually Leroy's words and that they would move in to a city and they'd, per- they'd be sold out for two weeks. Mm-hmm. I mean, just an insane popularity, you know, for this song. And then I think that probably created even more appreciation for all of his music at that point. But that that was, I don't know if Leroy called it the beginning of the end, but that was really the turning point for him. I mean, how how do you see that? Well, I mean, you know, Prince, you know, booked himself so solid and so busy that what human could actually pull all that off? Right. He was doing that and then going out, as you know, like as you were just talking about, yeah. and doing after show party shows, yeah. you know, at some little unannounced club, whether it's the house house of blues or city winery or something right. some small venue right uh you know and and so he would be going you know basically from afternoon until the next morning at five in the morning yeah and um i don't know i mean there's must have been some part of him that knew that he couldn't do that forever you, you know he's a human being mm-hmm. no i know i think <laughs> yet to be determined yeah uh, but the purple rain you know particularly i i have to share a really quick story i was the uh, i ran the events department for super bowl 49 and we booked darius rucker for one of our biggest events the week of super bowl and a lot of people that that i that had knew that i had booked darius rucker for this event knew that he was playing purple rain on his tours and they were really excited i had a number of people say how excited they were clearly for darius's music because he's an amazing musician and and vocalist but people were super excited to see him perform purple rain and i go backstage and i'm looking at the set list i'm with darius and his manager and i see that purple rain is not on there and i said well you know where's purple rain <laughs> like knowing all these conversations and uh and Darius said well you know I've been performing it for the past I think couple tours and I just thought you know I change it up this is kind of the end like the end of the road for this tour and I said very respectfully not tonight you won't <laughs> we're gonna need you to play that song that was respectful that was respectful okay. yes it just kind of came out and of course everybody got a big chuckle but um but I said no please we really people are expecting that song please play that song so he said okay well I'll think about it you know I really wanted to change it up whatever and so we're backstage and he's at the end of the set and he looks over at me and he's like and by special request and I just booked it to front of house I'm like I've got to see this from the front of house side and he plays Purple Rain and literally the place just erupted Mm. I mean just absolutely went insane not a single person still sitting I mean just the songs that Prince wrote Mm -hmm. and it just it's it's truly remarkable I mean the the man had so many talent in so many areas and left us as you've said such a canon of music before Uh, I mean thank God we had him even for a short time yeah yeah and that story points out uh, you know points to the power of song you know exactly and it's a it's a fairly simple song but it's just so soulful and heartfelt Etta James actually had a great version of Purple did she yeah oh wow just just remembered that. that yeah there's a lot happening these days But I have just the thing to get you up to speed on what matters, without taking too much of your time. 
The Seven from the Washington Post is a podcast that gives you the seven most important and interesting stories, and we always try to save room for something fun. You get it all in about seven minutes or less. I'm Hannah Jewell. I'll get you caught up with The Seven every weekday. So follow The Seven right now. This is it, your moment. This is your time to make your comeback with Purdue Global. When you come back with a Purdue Global degree, you create opportunity for yourself, your family, and your future. It's a degree you can be proud of, a degree that employers will trust and respect. Purdue Global offers working adults like you over 175 flexible degree programs to meet your specific career goals. These include associate, bachelor's, master's, and doctoral degrees and certificates. Purdue Global degree programs range from nursing to business to communication and more. Whatever your interest, we have the degree that will move you forward. You have the knowledge. You have the experience. Now it's time to get credit for the work you've done and earn the recognition you deserve with Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. You know you're worth it. We do too. So don't wait another second to get the degree that will take your career to the next level. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. Welcome to 500 Greatest Songs, a podcast based on Rolling Stone's hugely popular, influential, and sometimes controversial list. I'm Brittany Spanos. And I'm Rob Sheffield. We're here to shed light on the greatest songs ever made and discover what makes them so great. Every week, we'll pick a new song from the list and talk about their placement on the revamped 2021 list. We'll also have guests join us, ranging from the artists themselves to the producers, or simply other writers like ourselves who voted on them. From classics like Fleetwood Mac's Dreams to the Ronettes' Be My Baby, and modern-day classics like The Killer's Mr. Brightside and Britney Spears' Baby One More Time. There's so many fascinating stories that have been forgotten, like Midnight Train to Georgia starting with a phone call to Farrah Fawcett, or how the Yeah, Yeah, Yeahs inspired Kelly Clarkson's banger Since You've Been Gone and Beyonce's Hold Up. Listen to Rolling Stone's 500 Greatest Songs on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow the global story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. Hey guys, I'm home. Everyone knows that it's dad's job to be a bit of a joker. Sorry I'm late, everyone. There was an accident at the factory. Monty fell into the upholstery machine. Don't worry, though. He's fully recovered. <sighs> Good one, Dad. <sighs> Did you get the pizza for dinner? So he likes to keep everyone happy with some dad jokes. Yep, right here. I had a coupon, and it saved me a lot of... dough. Well, the truth is, Dad is just a fun guy. Hey, I'm not a mushroom. Please stop. Where does he get these stupid jokes from? He listens to the Daily Dad Jokes podcast. Oh, great. More dad jokes for me. We've delivered over 15,000 jokes to over 3 million listeners, and man, the postage fees are killing us. Listen to the Daily Dad Jokes podcast every day on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. So speaking of Edda, uh, Leroy talks about how he did have that final 
meeting with Prince at the Hall of Fame when he was playing the guitar solo of Mm -hmm. My Guitar Gently Weeps. And Mm -hmm. he, Leroy, he and Leroy had not had, they personally hadn't had a falling out, but he hadn't been touring with Prince for a while because of a bunch of stuff that's in the interview. And they had that one final moment, just the two of them in the ballroom Mm -hmm. backstage that it was amazing that they they got that because Prince did die shortly thereafter. Mm -hmm. It just reminded me about how close you are with Etta. Do you remember your last moments with her? before Mm, she died or when when that happened? Well, we had been recording for years after uh, I stopped touring with her in 89, I think was my last sort of touring with her. So 15 years from the beginning to the end of touring, but we continued to work together uh, and studio projects. Uh, I would play on an album of hers and she, you know, kindly guest vocal on on a song of mine. called uh, Soft Machine on my first solo album. Anyway, so I'd come out to her ranch out there in Riverside. She had this beautiful sprawling horse property out there. And she had her, you know, a couple of sports cars. She loved sports cars. And she had a big RV, you know, one of those sort of massive like tour bus RVs. She doesn't strike me as a sports car type. That's cute. It's so cute. Yeah, she loved my MG because when I first met her, I had a little MG. And so she got way into sports cars. Yeah, adorable. Anyway, so um, time had passed, and now I had heard that she she was uh, diagnosed with Alzheimer's, mm-hmm. and so I thought I'm going to make a trip out there and and be with her, and prepared myself for the idea that she might not be the Etta uh, that I remembered, right. you know. And she was in her bedroom and laying in bed, and she was a little bit out there and a little bit out of it. And um, kind of repeating herself a little bit. And then I just came up beside her and got her attention and caught her gaze. And then she locked into my gaze. And then I said, Etta, it's Brian. And she reached out and took my hand. And she said, Brian. Aww. Brian. Brian, don't leave. Aww. And she grabbed onto my hand like really tightly. And I just stayed with her for the longest time you know, hanging out and just, you know, soaking up some Etta James. Yeah. So she, so that was the last time you saw her and she remembered you. Yeah. Oh man. Took a little while, but yeah, we did then connected. I was, I was determined to connect with her. Right. And, and I may not have been able to, but I was glad that I did. Because how many years were you two together touring? Oh, 15 years. Wow. And then, you know, another whatever, 20 after that of recording and friendship, you know? Right, right. Yeah, I mean, and you do develop those sorts of friendships and Leroy talks about a lot of Prince offstage and how partially you, you what you saw is what you got all the time. I mean, Prince was always Prince, but at the same time, you talk, he does talk about how Prince had a really, really sweet side to him, mm. which was really cute, bringing him snacks in the middle of the night as he's redesigning shows and having movie nights at Paisley Park. And uh, yeah, so it was just, uh, I, I thought that was like, I thought that was really cute. I wouldn't have expected that from the perfectionist boot camp Prince. Yeah, yeah. well, you know, I mean, I think it was all in, the cause of getting people to work as late as he yeah. worked. So, <laughs> yeah. so it might have been very, very sweet. But I asked Leroy, I said, like, what was Prince into? Is he bringing like cauliflower and carrots? <laughs> you know, or or was it more like, you know, Etta James used to call snacks, Brian, go get me some wham whams and zuzus. 
<laughs> I'd run out to the market, you know, we're on tour. Right. We'd be at the hotel, you know, holding up in a room and she wanted some snacks. And right. I'd go down to the corner market and bring back some stuff. And so, so Leroy gets back to me and said, print here. I'm going to just read his text. He <laughs> loved junk food. It was usually chips, Doritos. He told me they <sighs> cure headaches. I think he hadn't eaten. He got a headache as anyone would. Doritos were his go-to food. So as a result, his headache would go away. Smiley face. Like, I'm not sure that Leroy buys that, but that's what that's what we're, Prince believed. We're about to put Advil and Tylenol out of business. It's Doritos. It's friends. Doritos, people. <laughs> You're doing it wrong. It, the hangover cure, perhaps. And then he writes, bless him. And then he writes, uh, fruit, dips, bread, peanut butter and jelly, cookies, basically anything that had sugar. That was his fuel to keep up. So I guess he needed the same. I feel like now I know I could be friends with Prince yeah. <laughs> because I can I, I can be down with some of those snacks. I'm just saying, you know, we need at this moment to humanize this deity. <laughs> All right. So we could talk about Prince forever, but I do want to wrap this up with a, a couple of other quick stories here because... Romstein, 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 because we we kept I keep messing it up all the time. Ramstein, Romstein, Romstein, right? Is it Romstein? Romstein. We're going to be in so much trouble. (laughs) Maybe we should Google this before we go any further. This is embarrassing. We got to know this. Sorry. Okay, let's get it right. How do you say it? Ramstein. Okay. All right. So they are badasses. Yeah, totally. Com- completely. Badass. Have you seen one of their shows? I have not, but I've seen videos of their shows. Ridiculous. The insane amount of pyro. I mean, how do you even, A, how do you come up with that? I mean, it sounds like the band, the band members itself are a huge part of coming up with that. And then Leroy works on the lighting around that, but mm-hmm. I'd be terrified. It's more like, how how do you follow that? Right. Like the next <laughs> tour, more fire? I guess you just need like... More Next fire. time he's going to be more fire, more pyro. <laughs> yeah, more water, fire, you know. And then what they did was the way they'd build on it is the next tour they'd start with nothing. There'd be nothing on stage. Oh, wow. So that when they build to something, it has more impact. It's like an acoustic intro. Yeah. Oh, very cool. Your, your favorite thing. Oh, yes. <laughs> I, I've got to see one of those shows. I yeah. mean, that I'm definitely, I admit I had not heard of them before Leroy's interview. And at this point, I have to see them. Yeah. Very cool. So Lady Gaga, also some really great stories. Um, I was actually the vice president of events for Super Bowl 51, the, the halftime performance that he was talking about. And so I was in Super Bowl Stadium when she <laughs> flew 90 feet from the air. I mean, that woman is fearless. Mm. I think that that's an important element for the kind of artist that we're talking about is courage bravery <laughs> my voice <laughs> courage bravery jesus <clears throat> courage bravery and fearlessness you know it's uh <laughs> i can't speak anymore courage bravery and fearlessness very important yes. that would definitely define lady gaga that's yeah. for sure i mean what a cool person to work with i mean he told some great stories about her it's just it's always nice to know again who these people are off stage and how amazing they are to actually work with. Yeah, and that's another artist. I mean, Abe talk, talks about Abe talks about a session he did with her and her sort of knowledge base of music and her willingness to just keep working at it in the studio. Uh, it was really impressive. He was mm-hmm. really impressed by that. Yeah. Wow. 
Uh, lots of like it, it seems to be a theme. You know, the biggest artists in the world have the best work ethic. Yeah. Right. Yeah. You know. All right. So we're gonna wrap it up with the lightning round. Uh oh. All right. So audience question first. I only have one question this week. So if you have questions out there for Brian, please send them in for next week. Uh, the question is, I thought there was this was actually kind of interesting. You've been in the music industry. You've been playing on stage since how old? Since I was 17, 16, something like how that. How do you hear? Excuse H- me? How does this not affect your hearing? What? Be Exactly. Oh, <laughs> that old chestnut. Yeah, right. Well, I do have, I guess, what they would call tinnitus, where I do hear a ringing. And it gets worse if I, say, drink a ton of coffee, don't sleep, and if I hear a lot of loud music. And right now it's fairly sort of subdued so i'm enjoying that even with all the coffee that you've been drinking excuse me (laughs) how do you know about my coffee drinking all right (laughs) okay okay uh so my lightning round yes all right so one has to do with music and one has nothing to do with music Sadly, in this episode, we've talked about some very untimely deaths. Mm. Uh, Prince being one, we also spoke about Etta James, and we've we've talked previously about losing musicians way too young. Mm-hmm. Of the musicians that we have lost too soon, which one were you the most shocked by or had the greatest impact on you? I think Prince was a big shocker for me. Yeah. You know, I mean, I just... To me, he still looks like he's 38. Yeah, exactly. Even though, you know, he was 50-something right? or so, right, when he Yeah, passed. I was shocked when um, when Leroy said that. I was shocked. He just didn't look like it. No. And, uh, I mean, David Bowie, you know, I just wasn't prepared for mm-hmm. him to, to yeah. be gone. Tom Petty was not prepared for him to be gone. And they aren't older guys. We just weren't made aware of the nature of their health, you know, uh, that they were in ill health or anything like that. So, I mean, those are just, yeah, I mean, all of them, man. I, I want all of them to be around always. You I know, know yeah. I know. I got to say, I think Tom, Tom, it was between Tom Petty and Prince for me. Yeah. Absolutely devastated yeah. on both of those, yeah. man. Adore them. Oh, God. So, uh, so you get to do, this is my next question. Are you ready? I, I'm getting ready. Okay. You get to do life over. You have the opportunity to start life over in a different era. Which era do you choose? You know what? That's wild. I don't think that I would choose a different one. I really? like where we are. I like that I was born straight in the middle of 1950s. I know I'm old. <laughs> 1955. I mean, yeah. so I was there when that's when rock and roll started, basically. Right, 54, right. 55, 56. That's the, you know, that was the big boom uh and um the big bang, I should say. Yeah. Um yeah, that was the big bang right there, you know, and as a result, I got to be influenced and be around the energy that surrounded this new thing called rock and roll. So I'm, I'm super happy with that. And then I got to see the 60s as a youngster, you know, uh, preteen yeah. youngster, uh, you know, and that's all really valuable. I, I saw and learned so much. Yeah. I'm surprised with all the classic cars that you love. That... Well, my favorite classic cars are all from the 50s and 60s. True. And that's, you know, I am kind of a hobbyist. But uh, yeah, I'm a bit of a hobbyist, but my focus has been on the cars that I remember as a child. I guess that that's fairly typical for collectors. They are most influenced by the ones they remember when they were little kids. Right, right. So you did it right, is what you're saying. I, I did it right for me. I love it. All right. That's where we're going to wrap up Um, next week. Well, I'm not going to tell anyone what's coming next week, but you're going to be really excited. 
We'll see you later, Brian. Okay, (laughs) sounds good. Okay, bye, Mandy. Bye. Thank you for listening. On Tour and the After Show are productions of iHeartRadio and Black Barrel Media. This show is produced by me, Mandy Wimmer, with executive producer Noel Brown. For more information about On Tour, visit our website, blackbarrelmedia.com. For behind-the-scenes photos from these interviews or to submit questions for the After Show, visit our social media at OnTourPod on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. For more shows from iHeartRadio and Black Barrel Media, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your favorite podcasts. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. 500 Greatest Songs, a podcast based on Rolling Stone's hugely popular, influential, and sometimes controversial list. I'm Brittany Spanos. And I'm Rob Sheffield. We're here to shed light on the greatest songs ever made and discover what makes them so great. From classics like Fleetwood Mac's Dreams to The Ronettes' Be My Baby, and modern day classics like The Killer's Mr. Brightside. Listen to Rolling Stone's 500 Greatest Songs on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Listen to the highly anticipated 100th episode of Tank and Jay Valentine's R&B Money Podcast with artist Chris Brown. Even working with you from Carrie Hilson, Adonis, mm-hmm. back in the day, I was 15, 14 doing that album. So like I said, I was in school like, yeah. okay, this is how you do it. This is how you make a song. There's a verse, a pre-chorus, and then a hook. I didn't know none of that. You learned I, that over a summer, bro. That's what I, it felt like. That's what it felt like. Listen to R&B Money on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. Imagine you're a fly on the wall at a dinner between the mafia, the CIA, and the KGB. That's where my new podcast begins. This is Neil Strauss, host of To Live and Die in L.A., and I wanted to quickly tell you about an intense new series about a dangerous spy taught to seduce men for their secrets and sometimes their lives. From Tenderfoot TV, this is To Die For. To Die For is available now. Listen for free on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. Hi, this is Kurt Woodsmith. You remember me from such TV comedies as That 70s Show and That 90s Show on Netflix. I'll never forget the words that my grandfather said just before he kicked the bucket. He said, watch how far I can kick this bucket. People ask me where I get my dad jokes from. I tell them to listen to the Daily Dad Jokes podcast. Listen to Daily Dad Jokes every day on the iHeartRadio app. Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.